On this week's episode of Read, Watch, or DNF, we travel down the train tracks of Memory Lane with four preteen boys to see a dead body in Stephen King's novella, The Body. And it's 1985 or 86 film adaptation, Stand By Me. And we ask the question, is there an 80s movie that doesn't star Kiefer Sutherland? Or Corey Feldman. Also, I really want to talk about Chico. There's a lot to unpackage with Chico. Content warning. Uh, There's a lot of kids that are swearing and smoking and generally up to no good. Uh, But their parents are shit, so I guess it's okay. And we're also going to seriously touch on some topics of child abuse uh, and neglect. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Read, Watch, or DNF, the podcast where we, Mel B and Jackie D, hey. drunkenly break down book-to-screen adaptations each week. We uh, flip a coin to see who will read or watch first, then we come together to compare notes and see if, you know, like, if it's close, if it's way off, you know, if we prefer the book or the movie, we we talk about it all, right? And and then we also discuss if the order in which we read-watched or read-watched affects our reviews. And why do we do all of this? Who knows, really? Um, but we want to, so fuck off. Yeah. <laughs> but we watch, we read, so you don't have to D-N-F. And for all you people with your minds in the gutter... That means did not finish in bookish. If this is your first time with us, welcome. If you are returning, we love you. And if you haven't done so already, please take a moment. Give us a rating. Five stars if you think we deserve it. Maybe. And leave a review because apparently that really helps, especially on Apple. So if you're listening on Apple... Leave a review. Even if it's just to be like, sup, boo, we love you. We love you too. Also, check out our uh, social medias. We have those. We have a Facebook. We have a Twitter. We have an Instagram. And of course, we have TikTok. TikTok. At ReadWatchDNF or at ReadWatchDNF underscore podcast. Some news for you guys. We are back. If you do follow us pretty religiously, um, hello. You are amazing. Uh, but if you've noticed that we, we've been a little quiet on the social medias and haven't posted an episode in like a week-ish, uh, that's because we've had some shit going on here. You know, we, we work full time, Jackie D and myself. Uh, we have families. We have lives. Jackie's in the middle of a move down to Florida. She's trying to find a job, you know, trying to do all that jazz. Um, <laughs> Mel? Yeah? You you had some loss. I did. And I think everybody can sympathize with it. Thank um, you. Poor Moe's. We had to say My goodbye. My poor baby puppy of 16 years, Mr. Moe's, Mr. Old Man Moe's, it, it was time. It was time. And he needed to go cross that rainbow bridge. Um, so we did do that. He's in a better place. Miss him terribly. I am uh, distraught still a little bit. Uh, I thought I was getting over it. And then we went and picked up his urn because we did do that. Because if you have a dog for 16 years, 
who's basically your child, um, you don't just let him, let the vet put them in a communal crewmate. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I couldn't do it. If you, if you do do that because you can't afford the private or you can't afford the urn, like there's no disrespect, no judgment. It's, it's still fucking awful. And I, my heart goes out to you and I'm so sorry. Um, but we were fortunate enough to be able to get the private cremation and get the urn back. So I did pick that up this past weekend. Um, and it brought on a whole new wave of emotions. Uh, and then on top of that, uh, my, my father did pass as well this previous week. So, uh, September fucking sucks. It is the worst month. So September of 2022, uh, you can go fuck yourself. I hate you. We also lost the queen during this month. Nothing has gone right. And then on top of that, Jackie and I decided why not just get fucking sick while we're at it, right? Yeah. Like, let's get this gross stomach bug, have a nasty ass headache and vomit. Sorry for the TMI, but it was, it was gnarly. For at not least good. two or three days a piece. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was bad. It was bad. Um, but I, I would like to believe we're going to have some like positive affirmations moving forward that we are in the uptick now that we hit rock bottom. Well, October will definitely be better because mm-hmm. you and I are going to Disney World. Yes. And uh, then we are going on a cruise. We really are. Yeah. On the new Disney cruise, The Wish, because I'm going to do something on that ship. Uh, you're going to get little... you're going to get hitched. I'm going to get married yeah. in a big princess dress with a tiara it's gonna in the atrium. I'm going to stand next to Cinderella. I shit you not Cinderella is actually there. It's yeah. just, it's like a gold statue. But that's where we're at. Okay? So we are on an uptick right now. We're going to try and get back out there, uh, get caught up on social media. We're going to post our cocktail videos, um, post some interesting facts post some funny stuff on the books that we're reading because we don't just read the books for the podcast. Jackie and I also see how deep we can get down the Kindle unlimited rabbit hole. Oh, it's alarming. Um, it's alarming. I didn't, I didn't think this was going to happen, but I think Jackie has actually surpassed me. The shit she was talking about today at dinner while we were getting a little saucy. Um, I, I wasn't expecting that. It's, it's up there. It's definitely like an intermediate to advanced level dark romance. <laughs> I still need to read your hockey rom-com. My hockey rom-com was amazing. It w- we'll post some stuff on social media about that. I go through these, uh, I don't know if we probably talked about this before, but I suffer from like severe ADHD. Um, and I'm a little, <laughs> uh, neurodivergent. Um, so I hyper focus like a motherfucker. Uh, so I will find like new things. For a while, it was like uh, mafia romance, surprise baby stuff, and then it was like dark stalker motorcycle club, and then it was creepy um, vampire breeding. Cake. Like it's 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 a little ridiculous. Okay, uh, I'm reading a book right now that has. The Knights of the Round Table that are vampires. Lucifer and all his bitches are in there. Um, there's werewolves. There's a fucking zombie apocalypse that's happening in Austin, Texas. And if you know this book that I'm describing right now, we are friends. 
Okay. Instantly. Because I love this book. Instantly. If I just describe that and you're like, oh my God, I love that book. We are friends. So welcome. Love you. But yes, Jackie and I, we are uh, trying to get caught up. We're going to try to do that this week. So thank you for sticking in there with us. And we appreciate all the well wishes. I would like to dedicate this episode to Mina, who was the Apple representative. Or what do they call them? Like genius or something? Yeah, Yeah, Apple genius. Uh, I decided to walk into the Apple store in the mall near us and just impulse buy a uh, Mac studio and the studio display and a new keyboard. It's pretty. It's very nice. And the thing is, I have my iMac on the same desk as my studio. I have two, I have two completely separate setups on my desk. But I got this because I felt like when I was editing our previous episode, there's a lot of like background noise. And I, I think I figured out what it was. And it was the iMac, like, uh, like fat kid breathing. Okay. You know, the fan kicks in. It's like, yeah. <gasps> so I, I, I think that's what it was. Um, the studio is super fucking quiet. I can't hear anything right now. Uh, so that's what I set up my recording stuff on. Uh, so this is for Mina. She was amazing. She sounded super hyped about our podcast because she's like, what do you do this for? I'm like, well, I just want to oh, podcast. She's like, oh, my God, a podcast? What's it about? I'm like, books. She's like, I love books. And I was like, Mina, okay, relax. <laughs> calm down. We're, it's amazing. The store literally opened five minutes before then. She's like, this is my first day here. I came from another store. I'm an expert. But I'm like, Mina, I trust you. I believe you. She was so fucking hyped. I was all for it. And here's the thing that I really love about her and why I'm dedicating this to her. She did not try to upsell me on anything. I was like, okay, well, what's the difference between this and that? She's like, well, do you run a business and need like six monitors? I was like, no. She's like, then you don't need that. And I was like, okay. If you didn't say that, I was going to fucking buy it because I just assume if it costs more money, it's better. That's just the life I live. I love her. Yeah. (laughs) And I was like, well, what about this? Like between the different displays? And she's like, are you like designing video games? I'm like, no. She goes, then you don't need that. This one's amazing. I'm like, all right, Mina, like load me up. Let's go. Apple pay all the way. And she, I was in and out of that Apple store and I shit you not 11 minutes. I I feel like it's probably more than 10 minutes, but it wasn't quite 15. I'm going to go with 11 minutes. Okay. Yeah. So, Mina, this is for you, babe. Jackie, what are we drinking? (laughs) What are we drunk? uh, Jeez, we've had a lot. Um, So, Mm. James hooked us up at Jimbo's. I had my, yeah, I had my standby uh, Devil's Backbone Vienna Lager. You had your princess drink, if you want to explain that to everybody. Okay. So my princess drink is Chambord. Amazing. Champagne and pineapple juice. Yeah. And people are out there like, what the fuck? Oh my God. It is pink and bubbly and fucking heaven. And I think I had five of them. Yeah. I want to say I had five or six beers there. Mm. Yeah. Uh, But then uh, Mel coaxed james into making a shot for me he and, sure did yeah and i asked james what this shot was called and what was in it and he texted me and told me i'm gonna tell you what was in it first 
before okay. I tell you what it's called. Uh, it has Crown, mm. SoCo, mm. pineapple juice, and grenadine. Oh, you're going to vomit. And it is called a throw me down and fuck me. I Yeah, so that's a good name for it. I prefer the other one where it's a bend me over. I think that's just... Because that's what I felt like when I grabbed it. I got excited because I saw that it was pink. Yeah. So I, I saw that he gave Jackie the shot glass. And you got to know that James doesn't do like shot glasses. He does like tumblers that are filled to the rim. And then he <laughs> calls them a shot. So I saw this and it was pink. And I was like, oh, and I was already a little saucy. Did I not down that like a shot though? You did. You did. Yeah. But before she did that, I grabbed it and like took a swig. And then halfway through the swig, I was like, oh my God, this is the bend me over that James has been talking about. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, um, but I did it. It's fine. But then Jackie fucking pounded it like a motherfucker. It was good. Like Jack, Jackie took names pounding that. I was like, oh God, was- I threw up in my mouth for her. It was good. Yeah. But now yeah. I'm enjoying a nice New England Samuel Adams Oktoberfest. And I am, uh, so I'm drinking a sort of a play on the cocktail that's dedicated to this episode, which is a blueberry vodka lemonade. Uh, we'll be posting some social media content for it. It's very good. We decided that in the run of cocktails that we made, that was our favorite. It is, uh, simple syrup, blueberries, lemon, mint, muddled, with some ice in there, throw some blueberry vodka in there. And then top it off with lemonade. And it is fucking amazing. It was really good. good. So good. If you want to do it without the alcohol, do exactly what I said. Muddle the mint, the blueberry, the lemon. Put some simple syrup in there. uh, Put some ice. And then put the lemonade in there. And you're going to have the same effect. Um, And it, it, it tastes essentially the same. Because the blueberry vodka with the sweetness of everything that's muddled in simple syrup, you don't really taste it. Uh, but, they, you know, if you're not drinking alcohol, just take out the blueberry vodka. It tastes the same. You're going to be made. It's really refreshing. But anyway, so I'm, I'm doing a play on that because I just didn't want the lemonade right now. I muddled everything that I said and I put some of the rosé cuvée in it. It's very fancy. It is very fancy and it is so good. I don't think that Jackie and I should be drinking anymore because we have to go to work in the morning. We'll be um, fine. We'll be fine. We'll be, we have we'll those right. shots in the morning. so We have these good. hangover shots that we found in Total Wine. Um, they were like a, what do you call that? Like an impulse buy in the aisle there. Yeah. And we're like, oh my God, let's try it. So we're going to be fucking wrecked tonight and we're going to try that in the morning when we go to work. Um, we'll let you know how it goes. <laughs> but, but we got to go. We got shit to do at work. So anyway, Jackie, you got a drinking game for us? Of course I do. There were a number of drinking games for this movie. I'm going to go with our good friends at drinkwin.ca. Canada, eh? Love you, eh? Uh, The rules are there's only six of them, and then there's an extreme version. So you can tag I do love the extreme versions. Uh, Anyone says Vern or Verno. Oh, uh, yeah. Anyone is a bitch of fur. Yeah. Anyone says Ray Brower? Anytime mm. there's narration. Anytime the boys talk trash to each other or someone. So they talk trash constantly. 
there's an oldie song or the boys sing. And the extreme version, add Gordy or Gordo for an additional 35-plus uh, yeah. drinks. Jeez. Yeah, they do say Gordy yeah. or Gordo or whatever a lot. I will say this, though. That soundtrack is fucking amazing. I like it. That's the best soundtrack in a movie. I mean, okay, maybe I'm being a little hyperbolous here, but it's it's great. It's How up there. Best soundtrack we've encountered so far. Is that? Mm. I'm gonna go with yes. Yeah. I mean, Devil Devil Wears Prada was kind of cool. It's just like new age type stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, High I Fidelity, mean, like I guess, was fine. Sixties. I mean, come on. Yeah, it's just a bunch of Motown. I don't love. Man, I'm such a sucker for Motown. Yeah. I'm sucker for anything that's like. 50 to like early 70s before we got into that weird post-Vietnam hippie bullshit. Yeah. Uh, if you like that, so be it. No judgment. Love you. Um, but I do like the, you know, clear, what, Credence Clearwater Revival? Yeah. CCR. CCR. Yeah. Yeah. I'm all about that. Wow, we went on a tangent. That's good. So good. Thank you, Canada. Yay. Okay, so last episode, we flipped a coin, and Jackie got to read first, and I watched first. So, Jackie, go ahead and listen to what you read. Okay. So, I read the Scribner trade paperback. It was printed in 2018. Uh, It was published much, much earlier than that, like 19... 80-something? I don't know. Yeah, it's early 80s. Yeah. Uh, and I watched on Prime Video. I went ahead and bought it. I think it's worth it. Yeah, I think I think Jackie and I uh, read the same paperback. I don't know if you noticed this, but Jackie did not read on the Kindle. Yeah. This week. You want to let everyone know why? Uh, it was actually cheaper to buy the paperback than it was to buy the Kindle edition. By yeah. like $4. Yeah, because I think cheap. the... Yeah, this is the, I'm holding up the book for you. Yeah. This is the one that you read. Yeah. yeah. Jackie and I read the same exact paper book. So, um, why we bought two of the books when we live in the same house right now, uh, who well, knows? I was in Florida. Uh, That's fair. Okay. That house. is fair. So, <laughs> that is fair. Uh, but so I did read what, re- oh my God. I rewatched. <laughs> I rewatched everybody. I did it. I watched first. And I went ahead and bought it on Apple. And like I, I said, could not, I, like I said, it's worth it, I think. Yeah, I think I paid like $8 for it. Yeah. Um, I would probably watch it again, having it in my library. It's like a good kind of comfort, like family movie. There's not a lot going on in there yes. uh, to be worried about. Um, yeah, I could not find it free anywhere. Not even, like, with this subscription. Like, if you get Paramount or something for an extra year. I couldn't either. Speaking of, I'm pretty sure I did not cancel the Paramount, so Steven's going to be paying for that as well. Uh, Sounds like a him problem. Meh. All right, Jackie, since you read first, you want to give us an overview of this book so everyone knows what we're talking about? I sure do. Okay, for the book, we have... 12-year-old Gordy LaChance and his three friends set out, set out on a quest to find a boy from a nearby town who has disappeared. 
They searched for his body along the railroad tracks during a miserably hot summer and soon learned that monsters are not lurking in their closets but live in the hearts of people. The story itself was originally published in King's 1982 collection, Different Seasons. And one of the interesting facts that I found was uh, Lisa Rogax? Rojax? Sure. Uh, Okay. Unauthorized biography, so unauthorized, highlighted, underlined, italics, whatever. Got it. Haunted Heart, The Life and Times of Stephen King, a friend of King's, George McLeod, or McLeod, McLeod, whatever, claimed sure. claimed that King cribbed the idea for the body for a short from a short story that he had been working on, but these claims are disputed by King. McLeod requested a portion of the royalties from the bo- from the body and Stand by Me, but King refused. Uh, the other author sued, which ended their friendship. Since then, King has refused his fans' request to read their manuscripts for advice. King has explained that he has that he is concerned that there may be further accusations of plagiarism. So, Mel, I just want you to look at the book and mm-hmm. look at the dedication page. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at it. Hold on. Yep. Hold on. For George McCloyd. Oh, he 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 dedicated it to him. Dude, that's petty as all fuck. I like it. Yep. You're the man. Yeah. Okay, so this is a real thing. And apparently now authors... I mean, this was in the 80s, early 80s when this happened. And, uh, you know, and Stephen King was, like, just... Not just starting out, but, like, he wasn't uh, as famous as he is now, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I... On TikTok, we follow a lot of authors that we, we like. And I've noticed that a lot of them say that most of the time they will like ignore people in comments that are um or block them if they start putting like uh ideas mm-hmm. for it or like edit ideas or they don't um accept fan mail that is essentially like that because that's the thing they don't want to be brought up on plagiarism yeah cuz i guess there's a lot of people like that's my idea and it's like fuck okay here's the thing Stop being petty as all hell, unless you have a legitimate case of plagiarism and can, like, prove it to a T. If not, stop wasting people's fucking time, because I'm going be, to let you in on a little secret. There's not an original story out there. No. In the last 300 years. Probably yeah. longer than that, okay? Since Shakespeare, that's it. Before that, even still. There's, like, three main stories out there, and everything that's followed is just a play on that. Yep. So... Get over your goddamn self. Stop being so stupid greedy. And if you have an idea, write it down, get it out there, and get published. And leave these people and their livelihoods alone. Again, unless you have a legitimate claim and can prove it to a T, that means you're paying for lawyers and stuff and you have all the receipts. Yep. So, and that's like, I know that's far, like few and far between. But good luck to you out there. Okay, let's start with this movie. This is what IMDb says. After the death of one of his friends, a writer recounts a childhood journey with his friends to find the body of a missing boy. I guess that's that's pretty legit. 
Well, the thing with both the movie and the book, though, that I see is that they already knew that the body was there. They were just going to look at it. Yeah. But whatever. Yeah, so I guess they're not, like, finding it. They're, it's already been found, I guess. Yeah, because, yeah, the what's his name? Ver, uh, Vern's Ace, brother. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah they're the Vern's ones brother that, and then... Uh, Billy and, yeah, whatever his names are. They're not important. But, yeah, of the missing boy. I guess he is missing because if you think about it, this is told at the perspective of children, right? Yeah. So they're they're hip to the fact that this boy is dead, but nobody else knows that the boy is dead. Yeah. They might suspect that he's dead, but they're still treating it like a missing child. Yeah. Um, which is just really sad. Yeah. Really, really sad. Okay. This movie. All right. Facts on this movie. Budget. The budget was about... Eight million dollars. It seems a bit high. Yeah, it actually says that it is six point five times the production budget at that time. Oh wow! Yeah, it, and yeah, and I wonder, like, maybe because it's just a lot of on location filming that they're doing. Probably is why. I, who knows? I don't know. So opening weekend total gross was two hundred fifty one thousand. Ew. So, yeah, not that great. Um, and then worldwide, t- or, yeah, worldwide all time now is 52.2 million. Mm. And, and actually, the majority of that, and when I say the majority of that, I'm talking a difference of like $300 is domestic box office. Mm. So it made $352 internationally. Wow. (laughs) So cool. It was directed by um, Rob Reiner. Very, very, very big director. And the runtime is 89 minutes. So it's a short movie. It's like just under an hour and a half. Yep. So it's a quick watch if you watch. It's, I think it would be good for like a family night or something. Yeah. Um, but even like reading and watching, I managed to read it on a Saturday and Sunday between flying back and then unpacking and getting situated. And then I watched it that night and I was yeah. done. Quick, quick, quick movie. And then we got sick. Yeah. And we got sick, and then everyone decided they wanted to die. Yeah. Um, I'm going to need them to settle down, which apparently they have, because they are resting in peace. Let's do, let's do reviews. Let's do these reviews. We love reviews. <laughs> we love them. We love them so much. Yep. Okay, for the book, always, 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 Goodreads, user reviews. Uh, 4.07 out of 5. Um, the highest percentage was 38% at 5.5, 5 out of 5 stars. And then 4 was 37%, 3 was 18%, 2 was 4%, and 1 was 1%. So people overwhelmingly like this book. Yeah. Yep. A 5 out of 5. Being such a huge fan of the movie adaptation, I literally used to restart the movie over and over again as soon as it ended. I just had to see that the story, uh, what the story would be like. 
the adaptation stays very true to the original story, and I can agree with that. And mm-hmm. I especially appreciated that when it came to the dialogue, getting to read the words and hearing the kids in the movie say them in my head was awesome. The story was full of so much detail for a short story. I felt like a read, uh, it felt like, or it says, I feel like a read of full length, but I think they meant it felt like a read at full length or something like that. Um, <laughs> 300 We're page- too drunk to correct their, fa- yeah. their grammar. 300 page book. I love the story, the adventure, and the characters especially. Okay. Did they say 300 page book? This book is not 300 pages. I think they meant it felt like a full length 300 page book. Oh, okay. Because this book is half that. Yeah. It's a novella. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Because I was like, bitch, what are you reading? I I honestly think that they said it, or they meant it felt like. They're reading like one of those pocket versions, yeah, where it's just like three words on a page, like <laughs> the little Bibles that they give you when you deploy. Yeah. Tiny, it's not funny. Teeny tiny. Okay, <laughs> three out of three. I'm glad I read this because I'll read any of King's work I can get my hands on, but it pales in comparison to many of his other novellas. I didn't hate it by any means but I didn't find it particularly memorable, and this is one rare instance in which I actually think I prefer the movie based on it. It's worth the quick read for diehard fans, but if you've never read any of his other work, please don't use this as a basis for whether or not you continue to read his other books, because there are several that are much more memorable. Okay. I I mean, I picked that because the whole premise of the podcast is we compare book to screen adaptations, so... And Jackie and I don't have a choice. We're, like, balls deep in Stephen King for the next couple weeks. Unfortunately. So it doesn't matter if we want to read them or not. We're doing it! Unfortunately. (laughs) No! Not unfortunate. I love you, Mr. Stephen King, but some of your stuff is a little scary. Nah. Yeah. Nah. Okay. And then I have two one out of five reviews. Um, The first one, the premise sounded so good, but the writing style did not work for me. It's told by Gordy 20 years after the fact, so he includes some extra commentary, which is fine, except he's an aspiring writer. So he also throws in two random, in all caps, and long in all caps, short stories that add nothing to the actual story, which I disagree with because the Mm. second short story is told in a way that it shows that he's telling his friends a story around the campfire. Mm -hmm. Not Chico, but the the pie-eating contest. Yeah, Lardass. Yeah. So, whatever. It's not random. That one is not random. I mean, the second one is about a pie-eating contest, and it's like he challenged himself to write as many pages as he could get away with before he actually began the contest. You want to hear my theory? Yeah. So I think that Stephen King really just wanted to put out a book of short stories, Mm -hmm. um, but there's no money in that. Yeah. And nobody would probably pick it up. Yeah. So he's like, I'm just going to shove all this shit into the context of a bigger story yeah. and say it's a novella 
And then they gotta publish it. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so the reviewer goes on to say, why do we need to know every little detail about the contestants or their eating habits or what kind of pie will be provided? I need to start getting comfortable with DNFing seriously. Get comfortable with it. It is totally fine. We support it. Totally, totally fine. don't do it for you. But we support you doing it. Actually, we would like to prevent you from ever having to waste your time on anything. And hopefully we give you reviews and a synopsis that's clear enough where you're like, this isn't for me. Yeah. That's what we want to do for you. But in the meantime, don't feel bad about DNFing. Yeah. You chuck that shit across the room. Let it, let it think about what it did for a little bit. Okay, this final review is also one out of five. And I picked this one. Because we've had some, I don't know if judgmental is the right way to put it. Um, but okay, so it's not judgmental. I think it's people get a little too in the in their feelings and don't DNF stuff, and they just they they, should. they just they really yeah. Should. These are reviews by people that if this is not for you, just put it down close it burn it who fucking cares throw it in the trash or delete it from your kindle or just turn the tv off if you're watching a movie but these are reviews where people that are like oh my god i'm i need to be outraged about this so i'm just going to continue on and then i'm going to share my outrage yeah and it's like i'm going to need you to sit down yeah and it's it's not just that it's also the uh, attributing modern day mentality and um viewpoints on yeah. the past for example this is written in the 80s based on life in the 60s mm-hmm. by a man who was in his prime at that time yeah so he's giving you perspective So, one out of five would have been a five-star read if not for the slurs. I've said it before and I'll say it again. Just because something is set in the past doesn't mean it has to embody the bigotry of said past. Absolutely ruined a book that otherwise would have been brilliant. And here's my thought on that. If you don't portray it the way it actually would have happened, Mm -hmm. it's not true. Yeah, it's disingenuous. Yeah. So they're talking about a part in this book where the boys um, jokingly are jabbing at each other and the N-word is used. That's not okay today. But in 1960, we have four white boys that are raised in a lower working class, blue collar. In Maine. In Maine, in a rural-ish Maine as well. That is not, that was not uncommon. That was not crude even. That wasn't even crass. That was just like how in the 90s, everyone would say that like F word, you know, they'd say fag everywhere. Or Mm -hmm. they'd say that's gay. Where we look back and we're like, oh my God, that was fucking awful. But at the time, like, oh my God, that's gay. Nobody would blink an eye. It's just that when you grow as a culture and a society, we start to realize like, that's not cool. But in 1960, that's what they did. (laughs) And we want to make it clear that we don't think it's necessarily right. It was just a different time. Yeah. And he, he dropped that word, I think once. Yeah. 
in the book. And it was like a playful jab on how they were jabbing each other. Like, like I said, I would, I would akin it to calling somebody like that's gay or you're gay or you're, you know, an F word, um, in the nineties, like late nineties, early two thousands. It's that. But again, we here today in this present time can sit here and look back and go, oh, that's kind of cringy. That's terrible. It's really awful that they thought that that was funny and cute. Um, but isn't it also good to recognize that we are at a place today where we can sit here and feel that way and acknowledge that it's, that's bad? It's also a product of education, whatever mm-hmm. education you had, because you can't fault somebody for feeling the way that they do if all of they have been exposed to is stuff like that. And these are also 12-year-old boys. Yeah. And here's the problem is that people are like, oh, but Stephen King wrote that. He did. He wrote it in the context of his story and he gave characteristics to his characters within the context of his story, Mm -hmm. which has a setting which is a place and time like (laughs) those are all fundamental and required aspects of a story. And Stephen King is a master at that. And he threw that out there again. Remember this was published in the eighties, early eighties. So I think that today I don't think that Stephen King would throw that word in there. No, because again, we can now sit here and acknowledge as a culture and society that that's not cool. And we don't want to put that in books, even if we're saying that this is how it was in the sixties. Um, especially if it's not providing anything that's relevant and it's not like moving the plot along, but we have to acknowledge that Stephen King wrote this in the early eighties. He's remembering his life in Maine in this sort of I think this book is almost autobiographical, like pseudo autobiographical. Um, and he's remembering how it was and he's trying to be genuine and portray, uh, how it was. Yeah. So to call it bigotry, it, that's not bigotry. And it's just really small minded to, re- this is not mind comp that we're reading here. No. This is a novella about four boys walking along the train tracks to go see a dead body and all the trials and tribulations that come along with that. Again, I say product of education. No. And if you're actually reading a story, like these boys are, they They, all come from a fucked up family. And, and two of them, at least Gordy and Chance or Chris are very, very smart, but Mm -hmm. Chris, because of his background, his upbringing, his family, his educators, his teachers write him off. So they yeah. don't even bother with him. But so, I think at that time, those teachers would be saying the same words. Yeah. But and then what, Gordy. What do you expect? What do you expect from them? Yeah, he's, the he's, he's abused. His his dad and his brother are in and out of jail. Yeah. Gordy, on the other hand, is raised by a seemingly normal middle-class white family that doesn't seem to talk like that in every class. They're older, um, but they're so out of his life and in respect because they're older and they kind of just like ignore him. He's not even really there. So he's learning all of his social cues from his friends, which are Chris, 
Vern and Tommy, who were all fucking degenerates yeah. for the most part. <laughs> uh, so that that's what that's what you're seeing there, and I think the fact that we can deduce that much from a story this short just proves what a master Stephen King is. Yeah. So I'm going to tell everyone again. When you're writing your reviews, I want you to do better. No judgment, though. You you put your opinion out there however you want, okay? But don't be judgmental because it's not nice. Also, um, if you don't like the shit in the book, can you please just put it down? Please put it the fuck down. Mm-hmm. Thank you. And if you have to write a review and it has to be bad, just be like one star. I didn't like it. That's it. Yeah, be like, I didn't like it because it had the N-word in it. And everyone's like, oh, shit, this has the N-word in it? I don't want to watch it. I don't want to read it. Yeah. Moving on. Like, you did everyone a a service there. So. Yeah. Good. (sighs) All right. IMDB user reviews. Out of about 400,000 ratings, this got an 8.1. So, overall, people enjoyed this movie. Overwhelmingly was 8 out of 10 stars. No shocker. At 33.1%. Uh, nine stars was 21.6. That was the next highest. And then the lowest percentage was actually two and three. They tied at uh, 0.3%. So there's like from one to five stars, there's less than 3% of the ratings are that. All right. 10 out of 10 stars. This reviewer says, simply put, a masterpiece. Exclamation point. Exclamation point. Masterpiece sums it up. Everyone in this movie is exceptional. All the exclamation points. Great story. Great cast. Great directing. Great movie. The rest of the exclamation points. They loved it. (laughs) All of them. (laughs) If there were any exclamation points left over, they put it at the end. Okay. (laughs) Five out of ten. This person wrote, and I actually like that they put the um, accents and stuff in here too. Clichéd and pointless. Four boys go in search of a dead body, but it becomes a journey of discovery about themselves. The premise of the story based on a King novella in, in parentheses is stupid and generally uninteresting. And the execution is clichéd. They love that word. They just want to put that word and put that exclamation point there. Reiner seems unsure of where he wants to go with the film. It just rambles on pointlessly. Maybe they didn't read the book. I, I'm not agreeing with this, but I, I, we agree that the book is very, very, I mean, the movie is very, very similar to the book. So mm-hmm. meh, I can't, we can't really blame this on Reiner. There is an irrelevant interlude about pie eating contests filled with gross puking scenes. They definitely didn't read the book. No. The characters are either stereotypes, the teens in in, uh, parentheses, or cartoon-like, the parents and other adults in parentheses. I can say I don't agree with that. I don't know what they're talking about. Like, are you saying they're cartoon-like because these parents are not like your parents or the parents that you're used to? Maybe you need to get out and... um... (laughs) The parents in the book are all absolutely awful. Yeah, they're and in the movie physically they're physically abusing or they're ignoring, and in the movie it's not much better. Yeah, you don't really even come in contact with the parents, you just kinda of get stories about them. Yeah. Or um, I think they even 
Yeah, I think they even downplayed it a little bit. Yeah. Uh, the big emotional scenes are corny and forced. The framing device, oh man, they, oh, they picked up their dictionary, where the story is related in flashbacks is meant to be poignant, but it just falls flat. I mean, I respect your, your review. I think all in all, this is a, this is a pretty decent review. I think somebody that read, would read this would be like, mm, okay, I don't know. But it's a five out of ten, not like a one. Yeah. So they're saying, listen, I'm not a huge fan of this, but it's not trash. Yeah. But everything they said makes it sound like it's trash. I know. They, I love these where they're like, eight out of ten, I fucking hate River Phoenix, you know? Like, like oh, okay. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you do you. But, Thank you. But they're saying five. I think you need, this is where you need to read in between the lines here on reviews. They're like five out of 10. Hated everything about it, but I might watch it again. <laughs> That's what's happening here. I, I think though this reviews are so funny to us. And some people might ask like, why do we even go through the reviews? I think reviews are so telling of the person that wrote it. Yeah. Where we're just trying to paint a picture for you that when you feel like you need to write a review, you understand that there's somebody like me and Jackie D here that are just fucking roasting the shit out we're of you. looking for it. Yeah. We're looking for and, it for fuel. Yeah. And most people are not reading these reviews seriously. No. At all. When you're like, one out of ten, I hate it. It had a vampire. Jackie and I are like, fuck, we're there. <laughs> So, totally. like, I, I, like, just don't pull out the thesaurus. Just say, I, I, I just didn't like it. It's yeah. not trash, but I probably wouldn't watch it again. Use, um, it, use your words that you use have. Use your words. Don't try to be a critic. Yeah, put them in <laughs> sentences. That's, yeah. that's all we ask. But I'm going to say here where we say it's very telling about, there's this one line here. It goes, the parents are cartoon-like. So I want to say that this person had a very sheltered upbringing. Probably. Because the adults that are in this movie are you have the dude in the junkyard. You have Gordy's parents, who he talks about a lot. You have a little bit of interaction, not interaction, but uh, like a recalling of Chris's parents and Tommy's. Mm-hmm. And then... You have the guy in the uh, the store, the store, but that's in the book. No, and then you, you, have Ver- you have you have the guy in the store in the movie, but he doesn't do the shady yeah, shit. Yeah, he's just yeah. yeah, he's like just normal. That's what I'm saying. Like he just does normal stuff in yeah. the movie. And then Vern's parents, I don't think you see them at all. No. You hear them a little bit in the book, but you don't see them in the movie. So he's this is about the movie, and he's saying the pa- the adults are cartoon like. So you're talking about. Gordy's parents, the guy in the junkyard, and the dude running the store. Mm-hmm. Where, who, is it the junkyard guy that's cartoon-like? You gotta think, this dude owns a, a junkyard. Yeah. With a crazy dog. Mm-hmm. I think he's, he's, he's actually right in- seemingly very, a cuddly dog, but. Yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. <laughs> But it, you're, you've got a sheltered life. You're like, these are cartoon. You have not experienced the shit that this world has, clearly. Mm-hmm. 
there is nothing caricature-ish about these nope. adults. I think Stephen King played it down a little bit. Yeah. Well, there's that. Anyway, not to harp too bad on this person. You did all right. Just do better. All right. One out of ten. This reviewer writes, way too overrated. It's hard to put into words how much I honestly despise this film. It wasn't funny. It wasn't touching. It didn't show any coming of age, in quotation marks, at all. It didn't show much bonding. And don't even get me started on that ending. Or they just kind of like part ways at the train track, at the crossing there. Okay. And I think he's talking about the Richard Dreyfus okay. with his kids. And he's like typing on the really, really old school Mac. I did. I did have an issue with what he was typing at the end, but. He typed the end of the book, literally. That's what he wrote. No, there was some other stuff that he added. He wrote, um, well, I guess not the end of the, like, total book, but he said something about, like, oh, actually, you know what? That sentence that he writes is, like, much earlier in the book. It's something about, like, you never have friends like these, but I then I guess everyone at 12 thinks that, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, but there, were, there was other stuff that was typed after that. Uh, I don't know. I think. I don't think it matters. Uh, whatever. But yeah. <laughs> the, it wasn't funny. I don't think it was supposed to be funny. Yeah, there really wasn't anything in there where they're like, <laughs> slapstick. <laughs> Slap my Like, knee. even when the kids are making jokes with each other, you just think to yourself, this is so sad that they think this is funny. Yeah, and that's really the point that Stephen King is portraying there is like, these poor fucking kids, mm-hmm. literally and figuratively, that they just, they, ha- they have no outlook, like real outlook on life. Yeah. That maybe Gordy has like a, a light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. Chris is, the, the foreshadowing there is like, yeah, Chris is fucked. Okay, characters. So we have four main characters that translate from the book to the movie. There are some other side characters. They're very brief in the book. Like it's more the boys talking about them, but in the movie they get a bit more screen time. So for example, the four main boys, Gordy, Chris, Vern, Teddy. And then they have the, I think, Vern's brother, Billy, or something like that. Then Chris has a brother named Eyeball. I don't know. And then there's Ace or something, Ace Merrill. Yeah. Uh, and, and then you also have the narrator, who is Gordy. So it, technically it's the same character, but they're different because you have Gordy as a kid in the story, but then Gordy as an adult telling the story. If that makes sense, right? Yep. So they're kind of different, but they're the same. They're just different stages in their life. Let's talk about the casting for these. Because I really, really enjoyed the casting of this movie. At first, when I was watching it and saw that um, Richard Dreyfuss was Gordy as an adult, I was a little like, uh, I don't know. But then it just worked. I feel like Richard Dreyfuss in a movie, you just accept him. 
Yeah, he plays a very good older version of a younger main character, I think. Mm. Yeah. But I mean, like, in any movie that he's in, I at first you're like, nah, it's kind of odd. But then you just accept it. Like, uh, he was in Jaws. One, well, <laughs> and at the big one that he was in, um, I can't remember if I was still in high school or if I was in college by this point. Or maybe I was even in the army by then. Uh, Mr. Holland's Opus. Yeah, I knew you were going to say it. Yeah. That was, that, a was a that was a that really was good movie. That was a really good movie. Yeah. But again, it's one of those where you look at him and you're like, huh, all right, I'll take it. Mm-hmm. Okay, main character, I would say, is Gordy. Because it's like, it's obviously him as an adult telling the story, so you're getting most of the story through his perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is played by the young Will Wheaton. Very, very young Will Wheaton. Very young Wheaton. If you are not aware of who Will Wheaton is. Um, Star Trek. Tons of Star Trek stuff. But then, maybe you don't watch Star Trek. But maybe you watch The Big Bang Theory. And you have Sheldon, who always bitches about Will Wheaton. Something that happened at like a Comic-Con mm-hmm. that he felt slighted or whatever. So they have like this beef that runs throughout the show. But then Will Wheaton did uh, star in the Big Bang Theory as himself. So he's occasionally in there at the like conventions because he was in Star Trek. So <laughs> he, had, he, he had a very serious uh, child acting career. And then he did Star Trek in the Big Bang Theory as himself. Yeah. So... Good for him. I think there's a new Star Trek series coming out that he's going to be into. I think so, because I was looking at IMDb, something said like 2022 yeah. or, or whatever. So good for you, Will Wheaton. Yeah. Wheaton. Uh, then Chris Chambers, who's his best friend, sort of like tough guy in the in the group. And not like tough as in rugged or anything. They're 12, right? He's just the... the kid who they say isn't afraid of anything. Well, yeah, because he's the character that... Most people, you look at them and they're maybe like early 20s, mid 20s, something like that. And you can tell, hey, he's seen some shit. This kid at 12, he's seen some shit. He has seen some shit. He's just very stoic. Yeah. (laughs) For a 12 year old. Uh, So Chris Chambers is played by the one and only R.I.P. River Phoenix. So if you are younger, and by younger, I mean... Maybe like mid twenties and younger, um, you may not know who River Phoenix is. The name may sound familiar because he is the older brother of Joaquin Phoenix, who's very, 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 very famous. Um, but River Phoenix, he died when he was twenty three. He had like a super promising career. I think um, uh, they they thought he was going to be like the next Brando or the. Um, James Dean or something, yeah. which it, obviously he ended up like James Dean. You know, R.I.P. Uh, he was he was coming up in that time for like Brad Pitt, Tom, Tom Cruise. He was best friends with Keanu Reeves. He was really close with Johnny Depp at the time. And actually he OD'd outside of Johnny Depp's club in L.A. I think it's called the Viper or something. Yeah. And what did we say it was? It was lethal. Uh, heroin levels. and morph- morphine. Morphine? Yeah, morphine. It was lethal doses of heroin and morphine. Yeah. Extreme. Extreme. But that was the 90s for you. Yeah. Um, R.I.P. 
I, okay. I, he was in the uh, he played the younger version of Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade, and that's like my favorite Indiana Jones movie. And he was <laughs> amazing in that. Yes, and he was a cutie. Yeah, I think when we were younger, that's like you know our crush. Yeah. Oh, R.I.P. Anyway, Teddy. Duchamp, Duchamp, I think he's French. Duchamp. He uh, is French because they make a point of making fun of him for being French. Mm -hmm. Uh, But I guess it's just French French heritage. Like, he's not actually French. He's a kid that's grown up in rural Maine. He's he's white trash. Anyway, uh, he's played by the one and only Corey Feldman. And Corey Feldman is just, he is the 80s embodied i think yeah when it comes to 80s movies totally um he does he keeps doing love he like he's definitely been in work he's never been out of work it doesn't seem if you look at his imd page he's been doing a bunch of stuff but it's crazy because he'll do something serious something box office and then he'll do like just a strain of really stupid shit and i don't know if that's by design or if he just has a shitty manager uh i think it has a lot to do with his own personal preferences for he's a weird dude and stuff like that yeah he he likes to uh go against the grain let's just put it that way he really does um yeah. and if you want to see him like at his prime when he's in movies he was in the goonies as a child and he was also in the lost boys as i think he's more like a teenager during that movie um but yes check it out good good stuff Vern tessio tessio is mm-hmm. played by jerry o'connell which I think a lot of people don't realize that because Jerry O'Connell is known. I don't know if he's known for this, but he is a fit dude. Mm-hmm. But he plays the chubby kid in the movie. But here's the thing. They never describe uh, Vern as being chubby in the book. In the book, yeah. Yeah, he's he's not described that way. It's not even mentioned. It's not even implied. It's just they casted him that way. And I think it really worked. It really, really worked. They made him like that friend in the group. Well, it, because he's the one that comes and tells them that he heard about this dead body or whatever. And he said he ran all the way from his house. It kind of helps explain or yeah. give a reason for their shock at him running all the way from his house to the treehouse. Yeah. Because that's that's how the movie starts off, right? So we'll get into that in a minute. But he runs. So he's just like, oh, oh, wake up, wake up. <laughs> and they're like, whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, okay, so now we have a, a couple of the older characters where in the movie they give them more of a storyline. They don't have this in the book. That They're just sort of, I don't know, fodder in the background. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ace Merrill is played by Kiefer Sutherland, who is in everything. I think everyone should know the show 24. Yeah. Like, that's just, uh, it's there. He was also and, in um, The Lost Boys with Corey Feldman. He was in The Lost yeah. Boys. Yeah. Uh, his father is uh, the one and only Donald Sutherland. Yeah. Uh, yeah. He's been in a lot, a lot of stuff. He's still going strong, but now he's a grown ass man. And mm-hmm. I feel like he always just played that punk kid yeah. in the eighties movies. His face yeah. just screams. I'm a degenerate. It does. It does. Right. Yeah. It screams white trash degenerate. <laughs> like not meth head white trash degenerate, but like. Pack of cigarettes if, rolled up in the sleeve, uh, the freaking greasy ass hair. Yeah, cup most jeans. likely in a mullet. Yeah, um, but he has that look where if it screams, if I were born in a slightly upper income, I would be attractive. 
Okay, plot. Plot, plot, plot. I'm going to say that this movie followed the story almost to a T. Yeah. We're introduced to the boys in rural, lower class, white, trashy Maine. Because it's Stephen King. But in the movie, the big difference is that it takes place in Oregon. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't really understand it. Like, what's the point? Yeah, I don't know. And they like to do this with Stephen King's adaptations of Stephen King's work. There's a lot of them where they change it. Because all of his shit takes place in Maine. Yeah. He talks about Derry, Castle Rock, Shawshank. He talks about it in here. He even... There's a a throwback to Cujo in this book. Um that, but that's because Stephen King writes all of it in his universe, which mm-hmm. is Maine. Uh, but they do this, and I don't know why. Are they trying to separate it from Stephen King, maybe? Or do they think... <sighs> Here's what I, So I did some research into this, of like, Maine and Oregon, why would they make the change? So what I read is the place in Oregon, which I can't remember right now, and the place in Maine, they actually are very, very, very similar. Okay. So they, they kind of look the same. They have the same feel, sort of the same climate almost. Um, so again, it's like, okay, so we're getting the same feel, but it's not the same place. So why? Was it just cheaper in Oregon? Who knows? Yeah. Who knows? It could be. We didn't do that research. Maybe That's next not what time. we're here for. No, yeah. it's not. It's just a lot of work. Yeah. So we're just going to throw it out there and ask why. Why Oregon? It's a rhetorical lie. We don't need no, actual no. answers. You guys can answer. I'll, I'll. You can send them to me. Okay. Send them to me. Rhetorical for Jackie. <laughs> Jackie's like, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> answers <laughs> expected for Mel. But I do, because you know me. I, I expect closure. Yeah. I, yeah. I live for it. And that's not understanding this is whatever. And then there's me, like 42 years of just open doors trailing behind me. I, <laughs> You're like, I don't care. Like, what? That was a thing? Okay. <laughs> So yeah, so we have we go from Maine to Oregon, but we are introduced to these four boys in their treehouse. They have this club. It's summer. I think it's 1960. They're 12 years old. They're just kind of living the life. It has a very um, My Girl feel to it, because mm-hmm. that was one of my favorite movies, My Girl, where it's just this... I'm not really a teenager yet. I'm not dealing with that crap. I'm not a child anymore. So I'm like, I want to explore adult things, but nobody's going to give me grief if I act like a child. Like it's, that's like the best stage in life, I think. And especially during summer, you're just living the freest life you've ever lived ever. Yeah. Yeah. Especially back then when kids were not chained to their screens and stuff yeah, inside all out. day and they're out they found things to do in this case it was gamble and smoke cigarettes yeah and look at dirty magazines which yeah. for a 12 year old boy in a group like yeah. sure yeah so in the book this treehouse and the gang right it's like not a gang gang it's just these group of boys that are friends there are more of them not that you're introduced to them but there are more of them mentioned like it's a bigger group than just the four um, but I believe that at this time, when Vern brings the, the story of the dead body, some of them are on vacation or mm-hmm. like they're just not around to go on it. So you're left with the four. Well, from from what I remember in the book, it was he describes it as this is kind of like the core group. And then you yeah. have the, the out, outliers who occasionally pop in for one reason or another. But yeah, these are the ones that are always there. I think that's common with any friend group. Yeah. Um, and then I think it's even more core group with just 
Gordy and Chris. Yeah. Like, they are actually best friends, Mm -hmm. and I believe that they tolerate (laughs) Vern and Teddy. Yeah. Okay. So, Teddy comes, and he tells us about how he heard his brother and the brother's friend, who are part of a gang, talking about finding the dead body. And the background of this story is that there is a boy that went missing, and they've been having search parties out for him. And it's been a couple days. Uh, Vern overhears this because he is underneath the deck trying to find where he buried pennies in a jar. A jar of pennies. Here's what's brilliant about this. Is Stephen King introduces this character and introduces the fact of this dead body and lets us build up to this journey. It's such a clever way. It's so underwhelming, but like not in a bad way. It's just kind of like, oh, that's just, yeah, that that could happen. But at the same time, it's so powerful because he doesn't have to really describe Vern. Yeah. For you to just understand that he is fucking stupid. He's simple. He's a simple boy, really just quite just not all there, dumb as bricks. And I just love it. It's just like he's, he's, he's going to be that kid in high school who everybody gets to do the really stupid shit. Yeah. And then he he thinks that everybody loves him so much, which they do because he's there for entertainment value. Yeah. But the stuff that nobody else wants to do on a dare. Hey, Vern, come here. Yeah. He's that kid. He's the one that's going to like eat a slug. Yeah. I love it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he gets all excited. He then sprints his fat ass. Not that they say he's fat in the book, but it makes sense. Sprints his chubby little ass down to the treehouse where Gordy, uh, Teddy, and Chris are. And he starts to tell them about this. And now the plan is they're going to do that thing where kids are like, you tell your mom that you're at my house. And I'm going to tell my mom that I'm at his house and blah, blah, blah. We're camping and it's going to be great. And this is the best part, because in the 60s, this is still that um, era where parents are like, I don't fucking care. Leave me alone. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Please get out of the house. Stop talking to me. Yeah. You know? So, like, they, they tell this story, and it, it's not even an issue. Like, they don't even think twice about it, because they know their parents don't give a shit. Mm-hmm. So, this is where we're a little bit introduced to the parents, where we learn that Chris's dad is an alcoholic, and his mom left? I think so. Something like he- that. No, his mom's yeah. there. She's just, like, beat down and an alcoholic, too, or yeah. something like that. Yeah, and then uh, Teddy's dad is in a VA hospital. A loony bin VA yeah. hospital. Because uh, he's, uh, he stormed Normandy, right? Yeah. That That is, he was in World War II, he's, and he He's is got a little bit of the PTSD. Just a little bit, to the point where he has almost mutilated Teddy. Well, he, he did mutilate him. Well, his I mean, like. was... Yeah, he, I mean, he didn't, like, strap him down to a table and start cutting things off. He just, in an abusive outrage and a, and a, probably a flashback of some sort, he holds his head to a, the stove and mm-hmm. it burns his ear off. So in the book, here's something that's a little bit different, because in the book, they're, the way they describe Teddy's injuries are very severe. Mm-hmm. And also his eyesight is very, very bad. They call yeah. him, like, the Coke, the Coke bottle glasses. Yeah. But they also describe in the book that he has a hearing aid that he wears. Yeah. We don't get that in the movie. Nope. And I'm okay with it. He just has one ear that's burned and he's wearing glasses. But they're, they just, it's so extreme in the book that basically if he were to take his glasses off, he couldn't see like his hands in front of him. Yeah. 
So <clears throat> for the movie's sake, I, I think it would be difficult to try and believe, get the audience to believe that when they're, mm-hmm. they're tracking 30 miles in the wilderness to find a dead body and you have this kid that can't hear or see. So yeah, yeah it's fine. <laughs> um, so they all agree. They start to like on their, on their journey. The best part though, is none of them are prepared. I think they took a, they each have a blanket or something and a, and a canteen. Two, like, of, two them of them have canteens. One of them has a comb. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So like, they're just, they're, they're stupid kids. They're like, we're going to go this. And they think it's going to take like a day or two to get there. It's because it's about 30 miles, right? Yeah. They're yeah, walking. That's what they <laughs> estimate. So they're, they're walking. Now here's the thing. This kid is from their town, right? A neighboring town. Oh, yeah. okay. Okay. So maybe what I'm about to rant about doesn't matter. So watching the movie and reading, I didn't pick that up. So bad on me. Um, but I'm like, why is this kid so far out there by himself that he got hit by a train and now he's rotting on the side of a creek? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, but it I was guess a the, neighboring yeah. town, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Because I thought they, like, knew him or, like, he knew uh, whatever. Okay, so that maybe 30 miles to the neighboring town, I guess, is in a rural area is really not that extreme. Anyway, I take it back. <laughs> So they they start out on this journey. Now, in the book, there's something that's left out of the movie, and that is this short story. <laughs> it starts um, on page 26. The Chico yeah, so pretty, story. Pretty early on. And this is what threw me off, because I'm like, what is this? Because yeah, he Stud just throws City. it in there. Stud City, yeah, and he just throws mm-hmm. it in there. But here's the thing. it It reads like his life. Right, like you. Yeah, because immediately before that, he's talking about the relationship that he has with his parents. His brother's dead, mm-hmm. and he it has dreams where he imagines that his dad or somebody is saying, "It should have been you." Yeah, and this stud city, I think, is his way of coping with that, dealing with that. Yeah, so it's a it's a story, and it's put in there like it, it gives credit to the author is for some journal. It, it's it's Stephen King writing a short story as if it were Gordy as like a college student writing it. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's it's not very good. It's kind of cringe, but it gives you that feel that like an inexperienced writer and a writer who is just generally inexperienced in life wrote it. Uh, but it is very odd that it's, it's just thrown in there. Um, and I'm happy they didn't put it in the movie because I think it would be just so jarring. It would and have been really, of... yeah, it would have been really, really difficult to put yeah. in the movie too. Because whereas the other story is, it's in there it, as if he's telling the story to the guys while they're around the campfire. Yeah, this one's just a, this I wrote one's a just story. It, yeah, here. <laughs> I'm going to tell you this. I, I stick, I stand by my original assessment that this movie, or not this movie, this book is Stephen King wanted to write some short stories, but there wasn't a market for it. So he compiled it all together as a, as a novella because it doesn't quite meet the requirements for a novel and then just like shoved some of his other short stories in there. <laughs> this is what we got. This is Stephen King just like, I want to try this now. But it's fine. 
But this, why is the character's name Chico? I don't even know. It's <laughs> Dead City. Like, he wants to be just, like, a badass. Yeah. And he just, he, he he's talking about, like, these sexual experiences with this girl, and it's so cringy. Yeah. And he's like, he, I think he even says later on, like, by that time, I think he had said he'd had sex, like, maybe three times. Um, and you can tell in the writing. <laughs> but also at the same time, like, is this Stephen King reminiscing about when he was younger and, like, how he, what his per- perception of life was at the time? Because there's some stuff that comes up that I'm like, is this how Stephen King thought back then? Is he reminiscing? Also, he uses the C word, which I never thought I would read in a Stephen mm. King work. It's there, just straight out. And it 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 hurt my eyes. <laughs> it hurt my feelings. <laughs> House, mind you, the shit that Jackie and I read on Kindle Unlimited, like that's mild. That's that's mild. But Stephen King writing it, I'm like oh, pearls. <laughs> <laughs> got to clutch them. I got to clutch my pearls. Which I don't know why, because Stephen King is not a wholesome writer by any means. Like no. he he wrote about an alien clown that eats children. So <laughs> okay. Anyway. I'm just, I'm, I'm having an issue just imagining it. Yeah, it's like, I just don't want to. <laughs> All right. So, okay, they're, they're, they're walking out there now. They're, there's some shit that happens along the way. Um, they get to the junkyard, and this is what reminds me of, what is it, The Sandlot? Mm-hmm. This is why I think I get these movies mixed up, because you have this scene with the dog, yeah, and the fence and the chasing. So, th- so that happens. I think the reason the reason for them stopping at the junkyard because I think as a reader, you go, if the dogs, if they're afraid of the dog, why would they even go there? It's because there's some sort of well that they can get water mm-hmm. out of there. So they stop as like a hydration point because um, they're stupid and only brought two canteens. Then they they continue on their way. There's another scene with the the train. Now they're walking mm-hmm. across the. Um, what is that called? The like it's like a bridge, but you don't call that for trains. It's the something. Trestle Trestle Bridge. Trestle yeah, yeah. So they're like, Well, when's the last time the train came? I don't know. They're like, oh, these fucking kids, they're so stupid. They're like, Well, we could just walk down and walk around. They're like, That's another five miles. Oh my god, it's gonna be fine. Uh so of course this once they start out on the train or on the trestle, they feel the train coming. Which is like, uh, okay. I'm just trying to think, like, how long would it take to get across that bridge? I think the way it was explained in the book was a lot clearer than the way it was shown in the movie. Because the way it was explained in the book is they had to take it slow because the uh, ties were so far apart that Uh, a normal pace, a normal walking pace would not be easy to do. And running, there was a chance that they could have missed one of the... uh, Okay. The um, ties yeah, yeah, yeah. and then fallen through. Yeah, that or makes sense. At least sense. broken a leg. Ew. Yeah. Yeah. At that point, she's like, "Just leave me." Okay. Another difference here in the book is, um, okay, so in the movie, there's that scene where like, Go- uh, not Gordy Vern, sort of has that deer in headlights and freaks out and just like yeah. curls up in a ball, and Gordy's like, "We gotta go. We gotta go. Run." Um, we're really in the book. That doesn't happen. Yeah. But Gordy is kind of the one that freezes up. Yeah. He even, doesn't he say that he pisses himself? 
Yeah, I think he does something yeah. like that. He sort of freezes up, but clearly they all make it across. Um, I wonder, I always wonder why they make a change like that. So in the book, it doesn't happen with Fern, but they made Vern cower. I don't know. I guess Vern it makes was it crawling. More- yeah, does it make it more dramatic? Does it just create more tension and suspense? I think maybe? it helps. I think it helps to add to the Vern being character an type, being like a chubby little scary Bastard. cat. <laughs> <laughs> and and Gordy is the one that has the more level head on his shoulders. Yeah. Naive, but level. Yeah. So then after the, the train incident, um, not directly after, but they're, they're still walking and talking or whatever. Um, they come across the, like, the beavers. The beavers created a, some sort of, like, little yeah. lake. Uh, and they're like, yay! And they, they take off their clothes and run in. In the book. In the movie, yeah. they run in, like, with their clothes on. Well, because they're taking that shortcut. They're going across the, the valley or whatever. Yeah. And that's when they come across the little... And they don't never mention beavers or anything like that. In yeah, the book, I think it's, it's right like... along the, the railroad tracks. Mm-hmm. But in the movie, they're cutting across that field. And they end up wading through. And they're trying to... Because remember, they're trying to hold stuff up to keep it from getting wet. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah. So they're they're fully clothed. And then they're like... Somebody falls, I think. And they're like, well, hell, we might as well have fun. And then they yeah, realize yeah. that there's leeches. Fucking leeches. They call them little sea slugs. Yeah. Um, yeah okay. So that was different. The water was like... In, in the book, they purposely... Yeah. Went over to, they took their clothes off and they took a swim. Because I think that they, even happens after the night. They've been walking, they walked all day the day before, they slept in the woods, and now they're like, oh, cool, refreshing little yeah, still yeah, yeah. pond. So at some point they, they get in the water and then they have the leeches and then Cordy has leeches on his, you know, his little thing down there. and Twigging berries. Yeah. They, it go, he goes into great detail yeah. in the book because something about Stephen King Something about, like, harm to children. Um, (laughs) Even in a non-horror book, Stephen King still fits it in. Yeah. Does Stephen King have an issue? (laughs) It's okay. How many many kids does he have? I know he at least has the one son. The writer. Yeah. I think he has two. I don't know. Look it up. I don't don't actually stalk him. There haven't been any, like, headlines about issues or anything. So I think he's he's okay with his own kids, at least. Yeah, his kid writes some fucked up shit too, though. <laughs> okay, so then uh, there's that, and then there is the night campfire thing, which I I do believe happens before the water. Mm-hmm. Uh, where this is where we get the second short story in the book, which is the pie eating contest. Yeah, uh, that was gross. Th- it is really gross. It fits in better in the movie because it's he's telling a story to his friends. It resembles something that a 12 year old boy would come up with and it's not the best and even then at the end the other boys are like well how what else happens like that guess sucks but you have the lard ass story yeah this story does exist and i think it's pretty spot on from the uh, book to the movie yeah they didn't really change anything no um so that was cool yeah now while this is all happening in the movie 
they decide to sort of redirect us and we get some more exposure and time with Kiefer and his gang, or I should say Ace Merrill. And they're just being all around delinquents and just the rabble Mm -hmm. going and knocking down uh, mailboxes and being destructive and dangerous. And that's how it comes out during this time. Um, the boys weren't going to say anything. I think it was Billy and something else, whatever. His other, his, who, who cares about their names? Uh, they were like not going to say anything about the body. They didn't want to tell Ace, but it comes out anyway. So now we get the turn like, oh, well, we're going to go out and get this body. So now we have impending doom of the meeting up of this gang and um, the boys. Where in the book, we don't get that from the perspective of Ace and his crew. Mm-hmm. We get it as like callback from Gordy. Cause he's telling, he's writing the story. He's telling it as an adult. So it's already happened. So we're getting a little bit of that sort of foreshadowing and him letting us know that they're going to come together at some point. Yeah. Uh, so you're aware that's going to happen, but it's not explicit. He says something towards the end of what we didn't know was all this time, yeah, Ace and them mm. was plotting. Fucking trash. Yeah. Okay, so they finally make it to the body. Same thing in the book, same thing in the movie. It's a very overwhelming event for the boys. Just yeah, a lot of emotions. This is a kid their age. Yeah, because they're up until this point, they're like ah, joking about it. They even make some comments about like, I guess we should be having that good of a time. Like we're going to go see a dead kid. Yeah. But it's very fantastical in their heads at this point because they've never seen it by death is not really a, a large player in their lives. Like, yes, they've experienced it a little bit. But even Gordy is so detached from it with his brother, his older brother being dead because he wasn't really close with his brother in the book. In the movie, they make it seem like he was much more closer, but he wasn't. I don't know what that added to the movie. I was trying to mm-hmm. figure that out. Um, but that's it, it, telling. You know, he would think, oh, this kid understands death. Not really, because all that death did was just create this sort of... Um, it, it fucked up his parents. More so where he became more so invisible to them. Yeah. Uh, so I don't think death to him is like a... It, it's, it feels different for him. Yeah. Then it like there's no grieving, there's no sorrow. It's just fuck. This sucks. Mm-hmm. It's inconvenient. But they show up. There's this boy. I think in the book they say that the the boy is face down. Yeah, they turn him over. But I think in the movie he's already face up. Yeah. Because I think when they first see him, it's like they can see his hand and he's like sort of his face looking out from under the bush. Yeah. Um. But in the book he's face down. And they do turn him over. Um, and that's where they're they're trying to figure out, like, how are we going to get him back with us? Because that was the plan. Mm-hmm. They were going to bring the body back 30 miles with them. Were they going to do that or were they just going to take him to the next they closest town? They don't say. The kids? Oh. They don't say. That's why I'm like, okay, I have a 12-year-old. And I'm going to be very honest. I think that if it came down to... What was smarter if they were actually going to hump a body, like trek a body with them, right? I said the word hump, like in the military phrase, not the like hump, like your dog. Um, 
they're gonna like carry this body to the town where they're at, which I don't I don't think they're familiar with. So in my mind, I'm thinking they're gonna fucking take this body, this dead body that's been sort of by the water, wet, decomposing for like three, four days already. That's gross. They're they're gonna carry him back thirty miles along the train tracks. I'm like, there's no fucking way. But it wouldn't surprise me if they did. And I don't think it's very explicit what they were going to do. Like, See, if they were going to go the other town. Logical me. Not saying that I would go out on a 30-mile hike to find a dead body or see a dead body that was supposedly at a certain location. But if I were to happen upon a dead body, you better believe I would be going to the nearest paved road and waiting for a car to come by you pull so out they can get the freaking cops. <laughs> Jackie's going to pull out her cell phone. Yeah. I'll pull out my new Apple Watch. Yeah. <laughs> just fall down really quick and don't move. Yeah. Yes. 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 I got the new Apple Watch. All you have to do is just fall down real hard and not move. And yeah. they're going to send help my way. Yeah. I'll be like, don't worry, Jackie. I got this. Yeah. <laughs> Kerplunk. Um, so here. Okay. In the movie where I think they fell a little bit short. I'm not. I still think the movie's pretty good. Uh. But Stephen King does an amazing job of this sort of inner monologue that Gordy has really explaining why they decided to hike the 30 miles there and not just like, uh, you know, get in a car. Not that they could drive, but like um, hitchhike or yeah, something like that, right? Or take a bus or, or whatever. And he said, because this was their their moment, that this was their sort of coming of age where they could recall back and this would be it, right? Mm -hmm. This is what they did. Um, and you don't get that really in the movie. You get just more four stupid little preteen boys just dicking around and be like, yeah, they were bored. They had nothing else to do. Yeah. So you get that where I, you get a little bit more from the book where it, it meant more to walk there. And then even there's a confrontation um, with the gang when they show up and Gordy reflecting on that was like, like, how dare they? Like, we, we trekked here. We own this, what we went through, right? We'll have this forever. And they just got in a car and came over here. Like, they are undeserving mm -hmm. of this experience here. So that's how they're claiming this dead body. So the gang does show up. Uh, and it kind of goes down the same way that it does in the book, in the movie. Where they're like, hey, fucker, move on out. This is our dead. We're claiming this dead body. Because then I also want to know, like, were the gang going to, like, pick this dead body up and put him, like, in the trunk or something? Because I'm thinking, if they're in a car, couldn't they just go to the authorities there and be like, hey, we were out along this area fishing and we found this body? Because mm -hmm. they know exactly where it is. Yeah. And then just bring the cops with them? Because doesn't that look weird? Like, you get, like, hey, he's in the trunk. Like, wh why? You would think. I mean, the only thing that I can think of is that uh, they automatically assume that the cops are going to say, you're lying or you're joking or something like that. But then at the same time, they have a reputation. The cops know who they are. Yeah. So what good would it do for them to show up with a dead body in the trunk? Because the cops would immediately start beating them. I mean, face it, 1960, they would oh, start yeah. beating them. Yes. And then throw them in the jail cell. 
And, yeah, there's and, just like a, not a lot of clear thought going on. Yeah, yeah. By any of them, which just leads me to the decision. They're not um, very smart. That boys are just dumb. Yeah. Men too. They're just dumb. They don't think these through. But you know that's a soap. That's a soapbox for another time. They're so short-sighted. It's like what's going to happen five minutes from now. Forget five years from now. What is five minutes from now? That's all I care. Let's about. just get out there and we'll figure out what to do with the body when we're looking yeah. at it. So they get out there and now they're fighting over it, right? The boys are like, "No, you you didn't even want it." Like they're talking about, like you you gave up your claim on it. Billy said he didn't want it, so that means it's ours now. It's fair game, mind you. They're talking about a corpse of yeah. a child. Yeah. <clears throat> so there's a lot of threatening going on. And I think Gordy at some point says some line about, um, I think he says something about Ace's mother and -hmm. then also tells him to um, basically suck his dick, but in a very sort of like 1960s way, like suck this thick one or something like that. And everyone's like, what? Uh, <laughs> so this just sets Ace. I was, I'm gonna, fuck, I'm gonna fuck you up. I'm gonna kill you. Um, then a, a, a shot goes off. Now, here's the thing in the book, it's this confrontation between Gordy and Ace, and then the rest of the gang show up and they're getting really fucking scared. And I think at this point in the movie, like Teddy and Vern just run off. Uh, uh Vern definitely does. It, but I think in the book it's both Teddy and Vern, but I'm not sure about Teddy in the movie. I can't yeah, remember. so like in the book Teddy and, and Vern run off. In the movie Vern definitely runs off. So it's just um, in the movie it's Chris arguing with Ace and them. Mm-hmm. I think he's arguing with his brother too. So they're just going back and forth. It doesn't really matter. The big difference is in the book it's Chris who fires the gun. Mm-hmm. In the movie, it's Gordy. And I think they did this because in the movie, they want to have this sort of full character arc yeah. of where Gordy just finally stands up and says, I fucking had enough mm-hmm. and fires the gun. And, you know, just, he doesn't hit anyone. He doesn't shoot them. They just sort of stand off. But the kid's unstable and got a gun. I, I, I don't care how badass you are. You're not going to try and get up on him. Uh, so they, the, the gang finally leaves. Um, and, they kind of just, I don't even know how to describe it. I think they do it a disservice in the movie because it's kind of like, oh, okay, well, now what? Uh, let's just cover him up and leave him. We'll, we'll do an anonymous call or something. Um, but in the book, it's, it's, it's definitely more deep because Chris fires the gun and then he has like a full on meltdown. He cries and they talk about how they've never seen Chris cry. Um, <laughs> Vern and Teddy come back and they're like, oh shit. Um, and it's, it's this process of, of grieving of them coming to terms with their emotions and then deciding that like, they're just going to leave the body and head back. Where in the movie, they, it's kind of this, it's same, but like not as emotional. It's like, okay, well this sucks. Yeah. You know what? They have this like epiphany that we can't claim his body. He's not ours to claim. Like you're not wrong. Mm -hmm. Um, but they, I think they cover him with one of their blankets and they leave him there. Yeah. Which they don't do in the... They don't do that in the book. They're just like, peace out, bro. And start walking back. The 30 miles back. Which, it took them two days to get there. So wouldn't it supposed to take them... Oh, they said they kind of double-timed it. And they, and they kept got back walking. They like didn't five. stop for the night. 
Yeah, it was like five in the morning on a Sunday when they yeah. got back. And I think school started that week as well. Yeah. So here's, in the movie, it, it just lets off. They, that's where we leave it. They come back into town. Teddy and Vern go off to go home. Um, Chris and Gordy are left there and they're, they're walking a little bit. And then they're like, he's telling them he should take the college classes and in, in the school. Um, and they have that back and forth. So that's the same as the book. Uh, but then like Chris just walks off and then Gordy walks off. We have Richard Dreyfus in his office and he's sitting in front of like a really fucking old school Mac. I think it's a Mac. Or an IBM. Possibly. Yeah. It's fucking old because it's what, 1985? Yeah, it's the black screen with the green text. Yeah, that's he's like, it. Do, 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 yeah. Do. Um, but it's, you, <laughs> at that time, that was like a really fucking cool computer. Yeah. Uh, so he's typing and writing his story. His kids come in, they're like, Are you going to do this? And he's like, Yeah, I'll be right there. And he's like, That's what he said 20 minutes ago. Mm-hmm. And then he just does this sort of like, weird sort of smile after them like oh yeah like no get your ass up like (laughs) they're waiting for you fuck and that's where in the movie they do that line about um he's talking about like hey when you're 12 years old you never have friends like that but Mm -hmm. something along those lines but it is much earlier in the book which i i think i agree with a lot of the reviews where the ending was just kind of meh because I just, I don't know. I guess it's a good way to end a movie like that. Um, but in the book, they go into more detail. Like, later on, uh, Ace did find Gordy and fucking beat the shit out of him. Broke his leg or arm or something. Yeah, they um, all, all, all of they them all, got the shit kicked out of him. Yeah, like, really bad. Yeah. Like, so bad to the, and there was, like, no point to it either. There was no resolution. Like, Gordy didn't tell on Ace, so he didn't get in trouble. Uh, Chris didn't tell on his brother. He didn't want him to get arrested, even though the doctors are like, these are not regular injuries. Like, somebody beat you down. Um, is Yeah, like, Vern didn't tell. Teddy didn't tell. Like, they all just got just assaulted. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. So I don't, I don't think I liked either of the endings of the book <laughs> or the movie. Maybe the movie is more a cinematic ending, where the book is just like, "What? You well, shouldn't leave me like this." And also, when he goes in to talk to talk about what happened to Vern and Teddy and Chris in the movie, it mm. almost tries to leave you with more of a feel good type ending because he talks about Vern and and Teddy. They're like driving forklifts or working some like blue collar job somewhere, and yeah. they have families or whatever. But yeah. I'm, I'm at the part in the book. It says Vern Tessio was killed in a house fire that swept a Lewiston apartment building in 1966, which is like a they, like a slumlord type yeah. tenement. Um, so he dies in a house fire. Teddy in uh, dies in a car crash, uh, and then they even talk about more how he's like a dirtbag because the other there's a girl in the car with him who died a few days later. So it's like, it's one thing to go out James Dean style and like in a blaze of glory, but it, you're, you're a hero then. But when you take somebody with you, you're, you're a dirt bag. So yeah. he says three days later, Teddy became a dirt bag, right? Essentially. Yeah. And then Chris, like, this is even more depressing because Chris finally like was getting somewhere. He was he got his shit going together. He was going to law school and just like in a deli or something walks in and, uh, Two guys in a fight, he tries to break it up and he gets stabbed in the neck. So they're all dead. Yep. And then Gordy's just like, oh, memories. 
Such as good friends. Yeah. I'm like, this is fucking depressing. I'm going to go take my kids to the pool now. Yeah. So depressing. Yep. Well, there we go. That's Stephen King when he's not writing horror. It still ends up feeling like horrific. <laughs> Let's talk about our reviews. Let's give them. Let's give them out because I know everyone cares what we have to think, right? <laughs> or what we have to I say. Mean, yeah. Wouldn't you? If you were not us. Yeah. <laughs> Jackie, you read first, so why don't you go ahead? Okay. I would love to. Uh, for the book, I gave it a four out of five. It's a very quick read. It was very mm-hmm. entertaining. Oh, and it doesn't have chapters. Yeah. And we did just was, fine with this. Yeah. So really, when it comes to the interview with the vampire, it's just her fucking god-awful writing that we couldn't stand. Yeah. We're okay if the book doesn't have chapters. Anyway, sorry, Jackie. Quite all right. That needed to be said. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, For the movie, I would say 7.5 out of 10. Ooh, 0.5. For me, it was... I know you said that the movie was perfectly cast, in your opinion, Mm. Um, I had some issues because I think that the movie suffered a little bit from the time that it was made. Mm. I feel like it was a little forced at times. Oh, that's fair. That's fair. Are you talking about like Kiefer and them or just no, all around? Like even, even the, the boys. Corey and. Yeah. Yeah. I, Cause I think they wanted this to be like a big blockbuster. Yeah. It, it wasn't. They tried to pull audience with the names. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. But that's my reviews. I accept your reviews. Thank you. Uh, I think in Goodreads when I finished this, I gave it a 3 out of 5. Uh, it's... Okay, 3 out of 5 is not a bad rating, people, alright? Um, it's just... It's good. I didn't hate it. I didn't enjoy it to the point where I'm like, I'm gonna read this again. I did it. I checked the box. It's over and done with. It was quick. It didn't take up a lot of my time. So he gets three. I The short story in here, actually, you know what? The whole feel of it being a, a compilation of short stories is what throws me off. And I, I think it's me being nitpicky, especially me, like in my degree and my hobbies and, you know, things that I'm pursuing in the fiction world um so i'm reading it at a bit closer so when i'm there's things that i'm picking up on that gives it this feel like like stephen i think stephen king wrote this at a time where he wanted to diversify his portfolio hmm. where i he knew he was known for being a horror writer and that's what he was his bread and butter but he wanted to write other shit um but he didn't have fully fleshed out stories like he does in a horror. Because if you think about it, like, this book is thin. Shawshank Redemption that we're doing next is super thin. But his books are chunky. Like, when we get into Horror Month and start reading some of those books, those are chunky books. So this, to me, just feels like he slapped some shit together and was like, cool. Publish it. This was Give a Saturday me. afternoon for Stephen King. Yeah, that's what it feels like. It feels like he's just a Saturday afternoon for him. Like, cool. Which is not bad. He's a master at his yeah. craft, so I'm not I'm not judging him at all. But that's why I'm giving it three out of five, because it just read a little disjointed for me. And then the ending was just so fucking depressing. <laughs> I was like, where do I go with this? I mean, I'm German, so that's the language of my people. 
the movie, uh, I think if I were going to base my rating off like when I originally watched this as a younger person or when I was a kid, I probably would have given it like a 9 out of 10. I just thought it was a all-around good f- movie. It gave me those uh, My Girl vibes at the time, right? Uh, but now, after reading it, I'm going to give it like a 6 out of 5, or 6 out of 10, I should say, because I agree with some of these reviews where it's like, I didn't really feel like it was a coming of age, or that's what it's advertised as, I guess. I don't know. Because um, I really don't think there's like much growth in the characters. Yeah. I don't think there was huge lessons learned in no. throughout the course of the movie because they already knew that shit was bad. Yeah. And then it just stayed bad. Like there's yeah. nothing really like, you know, Gordy didn't go home and have a better relationship with his family. Chris didn't, you know, <sighs> talk st- strictly on the movie I'm talking about. Like they just sort of split ways and Gordy goes one way, Chris goes the other way. And then we have Richard Dreyfus typing on a, old school computer it's just it was like cool is it a terrible movie no i think is it like a good sun rainy sunday afternoon type movie where you're sitting with your family or whatever like if you have teenagers or preteens i think it's a good movie it's interesting um but yeah Six out of ten. It's not. It's not trash. It's not bad. It's a little bit better than middle of the road because I think the production and the directing were absolutely amazing. It's a very um, pretty looking movie. I could, mm-hmm. I could say, uh, but yeah, and it gets the extra point because it followed the book, which I like. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> fucking. De- I'm just depressed talking about it now. Like, <sighs> Jesus. So then we need to go watch Ink Master. <sighs> yeah. So that leaves us to this. We read and we watched because we don't DNF, so you don't have to waste your time. Now, what do we say, Jackie? And either. I'm going to go with watch. It's a quick movie. It's like, at what? We said it was like an hour and a half, 89 yeah, minutes. like that. I'm going to say watch it. Just, if you're going to spend an, an hour and a half of your time to get something out of Stephen King like this, then watch it. Because okay, the story I'd... is the same. You can't, if you want to get the story, but you prefer to read, then you can read it, but it's, it really wouldn't matter. Just know that if you're watching the movie, you don't get the wonder that is Chico. You're really not missing anything. (laughs) I love you, Stephen King. Yeah. No, no disrespect. I love you. (laughs) Okay. Next week, we're still in September, right? So it is still Stephen King month because it's his birthday. Um, but we're doing the non-horror stuff. So we did, uh, the body and we're about to get into Shawshank Redemption. Masterpiece of a movie. I think, I don't think a lot of people really knew that it was a book. No. Or that Stephen King wrote it. Yeah. He did. Yeah. And it's it is a book. Like the Green Mile. Yes. Also Stephen King. Yep. Okay. We're going to flip a coin now to see who reads and who watches first. Jackie, last week you had Tales for Reed. What's your call this week? I'm going to say Heads for Reed. Heads for Reed. Okay. Yeah. Doing it in the drawer so I don't lose it like we did the first time. Okay. Oh, that. It is Heads. <laughs> you get to read again first. Jackie is uh, taking on Shawshank Redemption reading. I will uh, get ready and watch the movie. 
I'm going to see if I can find it free anywhere for you guys. Uh, probably doubt it. Probably going to cave and buy it on Apple. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we will do that. <sighs> Go watch something happy or listen yeah. to something happy because I feel like we just brought the tone down. Yeah. Uh, don't forget, like, follow, share, say hi. We like it. Um, but until next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Promise we won't get sick. Bye. Okay, bye.